to the seventh edition of the About IBD podcast. I'm your host, Amber Tresca. If you're joining me for the first time, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 1989 when I was 16 years old, and I had two-step J-pouch surgery in 1999 when I was 26. I'm also an IBD writer and patient educator. I've been doing that since 2000, and you can find all of the information that I've written about IBD on verywell.com. You can also find me at my personal website, aboutibd.com, where you're going to get more of my story and some of my own opinions, if you like that sort of thing. On this episode of the podcast, I was able to interview the president and CEO of Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, Michael Asso. They actually let me come into their New York offices and interview him in his personal office. It was really amazing to be able to go and speak with him and for him to make time for me. And what we talked about was clinical trials. Why is this an important conversation to have? Well, I've been talking a lot about clinical trials with people in industry, with patients, because of course I'm always talking to patients, and now I'm talking to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation about it too. Why would we? delve deeper into this. What is it that you need to know about clinical trials? Well, first, let's let Michael give you this little fact. 70% of clinical trials are delayed because Mm -hmm. of enrollment. What? That's not right. We have to find a way to change this because we need people to be enrolled in clinical trials so that we can bring more treatments to market for patients with IBD. And how are we going to do that? Well, We're going to tell you how because Crohn's and Colitis Foundation has some big news. All of this is coming up on the About IBD podcast, Episode 7, with Michael Asso of Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Our topic today is clinical trials. It's a huge topic. I feel like I've talked about this with a lot of different people recently and I'm here in New York City in the offices of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Super exciting for me. And I'm here with the president and CEO, Michael. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Amber. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you. Oh, thanks. And we're talking about clinical trials because you guys have some big news coming up on a Mm -hmm. platform that you're gonna make it easier for patients to learn more about clinical trials. But first, I think we need to sort of start from the beginning and talk about what clinical trials are so that patients fully understand. Yeah, clinical trials in brief, they really are research studies that are used to evaluate the effects of potential new treatments and drugs that are coming onto the market. It's a necessary process, it's mandated by the FDA, and any new treatment that comes to market has to go through a series of clinical trials in order to be approved and available to Americans. So at every step along the way, because the end goal is to get a new treatment approved, so at every step along the way you definitely have to make sure industry is making sure that their I's are dotted and their T's are crossed because Mm -hmm. otherwise when you get to the end there could be a struggle, (laughs) right, in that if things were not done correctly. So things, you have a potential treatment, and then it goes into phase one. So what is a phase one trial? Yeah, so uh, even before 
potential new treatments enter human clinical trials. Mm -hmm. They go through a series of animal models mm -hmm. and animal testing mm -hmm. in order for the FDA to consider approving the launch of a phase one clinical trial. Mm -hmm. That phase one human trial is designed solely to assess whether or not the treatment is safe. Okay. And people don't always know this, right? So right. phase one trials are only testing the safety of the treatment. Mm -hmm. It's not actually looking at efficacy at all. It's only until if phase one goes well, and if FDA once again approves the design of a phase two trial, then you launch a phase two trial, and that trial is designed to assess whether there's any efficacy of the treatment. So you've established that it's safe in humans. Now you want to see, okay, is it safe and also effective? Again, if that goes well, FDA can approve the launch of a phase three trial. That phase three trial is a comparative trial. Mm -hmm. So it's comparing this new treatment to either standard treatment or a placebo to understand whether or not relative to what's existing or nothing at all, it actually has uh, a, an improved impact on the patients. And then it's only after phase three that FDA will assess whether or not this is ready to go to market and then approve the treatment to be available. Right. And from, correct me if I'm wrong, but from the beginning of where you're starting with, for instance, animal trials all the way through to phase three, that can be like a 15-year process. Yeah, we, we talk about the timeline from bright idea all the mm -hmm. way to market to being somewhere around 15 years. Right. So the, the human trial period of it can be eight or 10 of those years for sure. Right. So. Yeah. And a phase one, I think I was a little bit um, surprised to learn this, a phase one is usually on healthy people, right? It's because it's testing the safety of the medication. Sometimes, not always, not but always. sometimes uh, phase one participants can be healthy volunteers. Right. Yeah. Right. That are just signing on to, f usually for payment to. Okay. Uh, I was going to say that's extremely altruistic. <laughs> yeah. Not usually um, to ascertain, but that's not always the case. That's not always the, the case. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, for IBD patients. And certainly with IBD trials, it's yeah. not usually healthy humans. Right. It's usually people who are invested in this in this space. And that makes sense. Yeah. Um, do the same patients typically carry over through all of the trials? Or is that something that it's you're recruiting at every stage of the game? You're there? definitely recruiting at every stage of the game right. and the numbers of people goes up dramatically. Okay. So uh, the safety studies of phase one is usually small numbers, mm -hmm. phase two it grows a bit, and then phase three can be quite large. Right. So we're talking hundreds if not thousands of patients sometimes need to be recruited into phase three trials. Right. So. Well, which is what, yeah, you would hope, especially yeah. as a patient, then a new drug coming to market, you want to be able to know that it was tested on, you know, so many people and there's good data for it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So clinical trials are extremely important in the IBD space. Absolutely. I feel like now more than ever um, that there's a lot of things in the pipe and mm -hmm. we need to get patients enrolled in these clinical trials and how do mm -hmm. we get this going? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, you're pointing out uh, a well-known fact which is that 
enrollment into clinical trials is a huge obstacle to getting new treatments to market. It's, it's an issue that many diseases face, so it's not mm -hmm. specific to IBD. Mm -hmm. But it certainly, to your point, holds back progress when we can't fully enroll trials. So at the moment, there are 450 Crohn's and colitis clinical trials that are ongoing. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it's enormous. Right. So as a result, there's enormous need to be recruiting people all over the country into right. those trials. Right. 70% um, of clinical trials are delayed because mm -hmm. of enrollment. Oh my gosh. And some of them very significantly, and some of them fail entirely because they can never get to the enrollment numbers they need. Oh my gosh. It's for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. uh, but one of the key reasons is that there isn't patient awareness mm -hmm. or education about what a clinical trial is, the importance of it, how it could impact their disease. Mm -hmm. And at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, even though we've been doing some of that for many, many years, right. we've decided this year to put a much bigger stake in the ground and invest a lot more resource, time and energy into trying to overcome that obstacle. Right. And I think in addition, there may be a misperception that you have to live near a big city center to enroll in a clinical trial, but actually that's not the case. Not necessarily, yeah. yes. So our Crohn's and colitis patients mm -hmm. are treated in a variety of settings all across the country, right? From huge major academic medical center to smaller academic, academic medical center mm -hmm. to a large community GI practice and mm -hmm. sometimes in rural settings in very small GI practices. Some mm -hmm. are treated by Crohn's or colitis specialists. Other times they're being treated by GI generalists, right? Mm -hmm. So right there you can see there's going to be enormous variability in what people know or understand about clinical trials and their access to them. Mm -hmm. Most clinical trials are headquartered at major academic medical centers, mm -hmm. but to the point that you're making, sometimes patients can be treated in their local community right. most of the time and still participate in a trial at a nearby academic medical exactly. center. right? Yeah. Um, so one of the barriers is that not only do the patients not understand how they can do that, mm -hmm. but also the physicians um, don't necessarily understand or have a good grasp of how they can be referring physicians into those trials. Right. So. And from the patient perspective, it's a little daunting to think about a clinical trial. And I was thinking about this earlier about how in television and movies though, it's almost a trope there's a person that has cancer or another devastating disease and they're not doing well and then along comes some physician and says guess what i got you into a clinical trial and it's this oh save the day you know and that's how it goes and yet there's a lot of fear surrounding clinical trials mm -hmm. and i think people may get hung up a little bit on the idea of well if i'm in a clinical trial that some one arm is getting the active medication and one arm is getting the placebo mm -hmm. what if i get the placebo mm -hmm. so what can we do how can we help patients overcome um the sort of inherent i think completely understandable fear that they're taking particularly with a disease like ibd that is so complicated mm -hmm. So I think we recognize at the foundation that 
at least to some extent, and probably some large extent, the fear that is associated with clinical trials is based on a lack of awareness and understanding of exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. And that's why through our education and support mechanisms, we want to make sure that we're educating people so that they understand exactly what it means to be in a phase one or a phase two or a phase three. Mm -hmm. What that trial will actually entail, how is it going to impact their treatment, what are the potential benefits? These are a lot of questions that the average Crohn's or colitis patient does not really know the answer to. It may be, as you point out, even after learning all of those details that patients will decide clinical trials are still not right for me. Mm -hmm. But we work from the assumption that as we educate more and more people, some will definitely start enrolling in trials. Right. And what are some of the educational initiatives that you have ongoing or new ones that you have starting up in order yeah. to educate patients and physicians too, I think, should be involved? It's a great question. And we are, at the moment, we're thinking of it as the development of a clinical trials community. And to your point, that community is made up of patients, of caregivers, of referring physicians in GI practices, of uh, nurses and docs that are at the academic medical centers. And so we want to build a community of people that are increasingly engaged in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So in this summer, uh, hopefully at the end of July, uh, we are going to be launching that community um, with a few early endeavors. Mm -hmm. And we will be building and adding to it over time. So this summer, we're going to launch a new section to our website. Um, we have written and designed uh, eight different infographics that very clearly describe and explain for people the process of clinical trials. Um, we've also filmed a video series. We now have five actual videos. They're mostly short videos, somewhere in the area of four to six minutes, that explain different elements of the trial. Mm -hmm. um, one of those videos comes from the perspective of the physician, mm -hmm. and she's explaining what it means from her perspective and how to explain it to patients. So we're already incorporating and uh, welcoming in both the physician community and the patient community, obviously, mm -hmm. and caregivers. Um, we are going to have, at, through our IBD Help Center, there's going to be a specific person who's a clinical trial expert who'll be helping to answer questions mm -hmm. for people on clinical trials. Um, and then in other phases, we're going to be developing pediatric-specific materials as it relates to clinical trials. Um, we're going to be putting together patient ambassadors, so people who are going out, to your earlier question, mm -hmm. into GI practices um, to educate folks in that setting, the healthcare professionals in that setting around trials. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be putting a toolkit together of materials for our education staff all around the country to be implementing education activities in their local markets. So the community will build over the year and over mm -hmm. years to come. Mm -hmm. But we're starting by launching this a video series, these infographics, a section on our website, and um, bringing in a clinical trials expert at our IBD Help Center. So. Wow, I'm I'm blown away. 
<laughs> I'm completely blown away. And I hope also patients are heartened. I mean, just you telling me about how many clinical trials there are right now actually just, you know, sparked mm -hmm. a little fire in me because I think that that's something that's not known. Yeah. That um, sometimes we may think, well, you know, nothing is happening. No, lots of happening. There's lots of clinical trials and we need to get them to that point where they're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. enrollment is the barrier, which I mean, there's lots of barriers, but mm -hmm. enrollment is a big one, mm -hmm. that that's definitely a lever that we can push on and start getting these clinical trials filled and start getting more treatments to market if we can. Yeah. So when we talk to physicians and pharmaceutical partners, I think they would, I don't want to speak for them, but I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure they would say it is the single largest barrier to getting to a new treatment mm -hmm. is clinical trial enrollment. And, that, and, and that's a shame. I mean, yes. it really, if that's the only thing that's standing in the way, yeah. you know, let's let's get this moving here. Yeah, so, that's a big barrier. Yeah. I love this idea of patient ambassadors. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So mm -hmm. are you thinking this a patient ambassador would be perhaps a person that has participated in a clinical trial previously as a patient or someone you who can has knowledge? Yeah, you can envision that the, the, the best patient ambassadors are going to be people who have experienced it for themselves and right. benefited. And some of the patients that are highlighted on this video series are people who've successfully been through trials and have seen the benefits of them so right yeah and they're going to work with physicians as well as patients regarding clinical trials or mostly yeah physicians? i mean i think it's mostly physicians mm -hmm. at this point right um but that that element of the program is going to roll out later so we're still kind of tweaking right. what the approach would be but you you know, it's a big country. <laughs> there are a lot of people in it. Yeah. So we need a you know, we need a small army of people that are armed with the knowledge to be proselytizing about the benefits of clinical trials. Yeah. In all those local communities across the country. So Yeah. And I think that there's nothing quite like having a, a face to face conversation where you can ask someone right. your questions. Um, so true. I that's <laughs> I'm really excited about that. I mean it it's I think it's really going to move the needle on this. So we do too. We think so as well. <laughs> yeah. And we know that we have to um, attack it, if you would, from multiple sides. Right. Some people need emotional support. Some people just need to have a basic awareness of what they are. Right. Other people really need to be educated about the details. We need to engage physicians. So we're taking a multi-pronged approach. To right. Yeah. Right. And does industry have a role in this as well? So industry, through their grants program, mm -hmm. um, have already provided some grant support for mm -hmm. the program in general, which okay. is nice. Okay. It's one of those areas where, again, there are multiple stakeholders that right. all see the value of this and want to be engaged in helping move it forward. Yeah. I feel like it's so. almost like a, a, a rare confluence where you've got everyone wants to go in the same direction, and if we can get everyone together and start moving it, mm -hmm. um, great things are going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Amber, if you'll allow me a digression, because that last statement you just made really uh, speaks to something we feel really strongly about, mm -hmm. not just here, but across the whole organization. Right. At the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, we see ourselves as the convener, mm -hmm. right, as the catalyzer of advancements that need to happen. So we take very strongly our responsibility to bring the necessary partners and stakeholders all to the table together mm -hmm. to solve the problem. And when there's common objectives the way there is here, mm -hmm. it makes our job easier as right. we convene all the stakeholders 
to work together right. and move it forward. Right. So this is a good example. Yeah, it's a very good example. Is this being done for other disease states? It is being done for other disease states. Um, we actually had some really wonderful conversations both with the Michael J. Fox Foundation uh -huh. and also the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation right. because we were able to learn from them some of the activities and things that they're doing in this regard. Mm -hmm. um, they were both very generous as we were thinking through our own program. Right. So that's the other thing. We don't um, feel a need to reinvent the wheel. No, yeah. And when we can learn from our fellow voluntary health agencies like Cystic Fibrosis and Michael J. Fox, mm -hmm. we're always happy to, mm -hmm. so yes. Yeah, it's absolutely. happening in other places. If if they're working on this and it's been shown to work, I mean, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure all of you together are going to come up with more ways to attack yeah. this problem and uh, come at it. So I'm going to put you on the spot for just maybe just like a minute. Okay. Um, I always try to get IBD patients to come up with uh, their elevator speech mm. regarding their disease. The explanation of an elevator speech is you, you're in the elevator, you have about a minute, depending on how big the building is, to describe something to another person that knows nothing about it. So what is your elevator speech for a patient who is expressing some fear regarding taking part in a clinical trial? Okay. Here's my... Um, here's my... Un planned elevator love it, pitch. Love it. <laughs> <clears throat> if you as a patient are on any currently approved medications, then the first thing you should be aware of is that many patients came before you and participated in clinical trials so that that treatment would be available to you. If we're going to get to better treatments, and cures, more importantly, we have no choice but to conduct the necessary clinical trials. Those clinical trials will only be successful if patients today decide to participate. That trial can benefit you individually and importantly benefit the entire community in the future. So if you're fearful, take the time to build an awareness and be educated about exactly what it means before you make a decision. Oh my gosh, that was killer. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much for that. That was really good. Sure, you're so, welcome. As we finish up, is there anything else that you would like to tell us about the new community or about clinical trials in general? I appreciate that, Amber. I think I would say a few things. Mm -hmm. First, I would encourage patients from right now to begin this dialogue with their providers. It's important to have the conversation and to have it over a period of time and there's no time like the present to bring it up, find out what you can and be in a conversation. Um, we encourage in all areas of care but uh, certainly in clinical trials that this be a shared decision, right? So the dialogue should be happening from the very beginning between the patient and the provider. Mm -hmm. Um, the second thing I would say is that if you have questions, feel free to reach out to our IBD Help Center um, and you can contact us by phone at 888-694-8872 or you can email us at info at org. 
all spelled out, no apostrophe in the Crohn's. <laughs> um, and we would be happy to answer any questions in that regard. We, we're a resource, we're here for you. Um, and lastly, stay tuned uh, for the launch, the official launch of the clinical trials community later this summer. And the official launch, you're gonna, we're gonna see it on Facebook, we're gonna see it on Twitter, we're gonna, are we gonna get emails? Are we gonna get mailings? There's gonna be an email blast, there'll be Facebook posting, Twitter for sure, we're gonna put something up on our website, we'll publish the infographics and the videos. Okay. Yes. And so it's we will use every mechanism possible <laughs> to make the world aware. Oh, I'm sure. And then patients are going to be able to come. They're going to be able to find very specific clinical trials. They're going to be able to go to their physicians and say, what's happening with this? I think I'm perfect for it. And we're going to get these trials enrollment fulfilled and get them moving forward. Yes. So thank you for that because I neglected to add one last thing, which is mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. In this new endeavor, this clinical trials community, uh, we are launching a more sophisticated IBD-specific clinical trial finder on the website where people will be able to input the specifics of their demographics and their disease, et cetera, and mm -hmm. find trials that are right for them. So that will also launch on the website in late July. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to ask you another hard question, too. I saved all the hard ones for last. <laughs> Obviously, there's trials, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. um, are we getting as specific as indeterminate colitis, J-pouch, ostomy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there are criteria yeah. to enter into the trial, and mm -hmm. you'll have that opportunity in the finder to uh, weed out exactly what you would or wouldn't be right for. So there will be some trials, for instance, that are looking specifically for people who have a J pouch. Right, right. <laughs> and um, there will be trials that are inclusive of people who have indeterminate IBD. Okay. So, yeah. Perfect. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to sort through all of that. Right, and know right away whether or not you are a candidate mm -hmm. as far as your disease state and where you are in your disease journey, and then you can take it to your physician and exactly. see where that goes from there. Correct. This is amazing. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, we think so too. Here. Thank you, Amber. It was a pleasure. It was and so happy great to have this you. opportunity. And we are excited about it. I think it yeah. will move the bar. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Good stuff to come okay. in July. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. Thanks so much. Thank you. Special thanks to Michael Asso for taking the time to talk with me and to Rebecca Kaplan for setting the whole thing up. I really appreciated my time in the offices in New York City. It was great to go in and see the big wall with the foundation's name on it and walk around the office and meet some of the folks. I saw where the IBD helpline is and that was really cool. Met some of the folks that run that helpline. And once again, that phone number is 888-694-8877. If you need help with your IBD or you have questions about clinical trials, you can also send an email if you're like me and you don't love the phone. And the email address is info at Crohn'sColitisFoundation.org. And you can find all of this information in the show notes as well. So just click on more details or details wherever you're viewing the podcast and all of that information should pop up for you. I hope in this podcast we were able to answer a lot of the questions patients have about clinical trials and give a little information about how you're going to be able to find clinical trials in the future. So watch Crohn's and Colitis Foundation on Twitter, on Facebook, and 
very soon you're going to see an announcement about their new clinical trial space and you as a patient are going to be able to go in and find clinical trials that might apply to you but you don't have to wait for that you can start talking to your physicians the next time you see them about clinical trials and how you can get involved and if they participate in clinical trials and what's going on so let's get that conversation going let's move the needle on this we need to get these clinical trials fully enrolled. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. You can find me almost anywhere you hang out on the internet, on Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I usually go by the handle about IBD. Please do get in touch, ask me questions, because I love that, because I like to give answers. And one last favor, if you wouldn't mind, Share this podcast with your friends and family and anyone that you know that might benefit from hearing it because it is my mission to help you know more about IBD.